You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Francois Clemens. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So she's not white, you usually know it, but you're probably, this is probably somebody who watches this better. They, they have this thing, that, that, that racial thing that I constantly felt acting out, in that holiness could only be true Fred Rogers. Mm-hmm. Divine inspiration is only going to come through Fred Rogers. Mm-hmm. And we hear that is not the truth. And I'm sure that's they're very opposite of his message or what he believes. That's so, right. He know. never said anything remotely like that. He didn't behave like that. He was a, uh, a person who, in fact, I always find it an ironic thing to think about the fact that he was colorblind. <laughs> he was colorblind, he really that's was. funny. Yeah. He really was colorblind, and he could barely tell a blue from a gray. Because mm. we used to ask him, you know, like, you know how kids are. I was young, and to him, I was a child, and I certainly played the role of a child. He played the role of a parent. I said, Fred, what color is this? I mm. hold something up. And what color is this? <laughs> and he sat there. He was profoundly patient. Oh, Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. He would sit there and say, well, I'm not sure, friends. Uh, <laughs> is it gray? Is it light gray? <laughs> is it dark gray? Mm-hmm. It was colorblind. Yeah. So that people don't know that. And they don't know we play those silly games back behind off screen. And that he had a wonderful sense of humor and a wonderful sense of tolerance and patience, which carried over into his personal life. So... When I had that moment with him when he came off stage at one of the filmings that they were doing at WQED, and he saying, "You, I like you just the way you are, and you know why and how, because you make this day a special day every day. Mm-hmm. And you know how? Just by being you. Mm-hmm. And that day I was in the studio, I swear he was looking in my eyes down into the very soul of me saying that. And I thought, well, that applies to the people he's talking to on, on the television, but not to me. Mm-hmm. That's my self-image. Mm-hmm. And when we got off stage, Johnny Costa, our very, very famous, wonderful uh, jazz pianist, was playing exit music, so everybody still had to be quiet. We were all very, very, very quiet. And then he walks forward to me, and I, I walk towards him. And I say, Fred, were you talking to me? <laughs> and he said, yes. I was talking to you. I've been talking to you for two years. Yeah. But you heard me today. Mm. Oh my God. It was like the stars, you know, Fourth of July fireworks went off and mm. God was, uh, descended, you know, from heaven. And I just fell into his arms and cried mm. because the acceptance was so profound. And I never saw him in my mind as a white man anymore. That mm. was so superfluous. What was important was this spiritual, this man who had this gift of communication, this ability to pull me out of the ghetto into universal love. It had nothing to do with material things. Because a lot of times that's what people think. If you're not making $300,000 a year or $2 million a year, then something is less. And Fred defies all of that. No, you you come here, he said to me in metaphysical terms. You come here, you belong here next to me. He put me next to him. I was supposed to be there, but I didn't know it. He did. And I've thought about it many, many, many times since his death that older people do have wisdom. 
he had wisdom that I did not have. And he saw what he was looking for in terms of the race problem in America, the gay problem. I think he had insights that I was gay. Into the social struggles, the haggling that was going on with our civil rights struggle here in America. And he was looking for something to fulfill a certain area of, of for completion and of, of the program. He brought in many unusual people as his guests. So it wasn't just that. Because I not only did the spiritual, those first two programs that I sang for him, but he, he invited me to come back. And then shortly after that, that's going to play a role and to be with him all the time. Mm-hmm. That was a tremendous surprise to me. What? You want me all the time? And I, I mean this considering that nobody else has. <laughs> Yes, I read the book. I was very moved by it, okay. and we haven't, I you know, discussed. I want to, I want to save for for, for readers, you know, was for them to discover it. But there were some other interesting aspects that, as you, as you mentioned, your childhood and even you know the struggles you had with your family and your stepfather. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about one scene mm-hmm. where you were kind of. I I don't I don't know how to describe it, but there's some sort of. Yes, yes, but if we and and I wonder if that window wasn't there, we should say that you uh, managed to escape. <laughs> Your whole life, I don't know. I don't know what would happened to me. You know, I'm not a tree climber and all that. You know, I'm not a rock or anything. And there I was stuck up there with little bit the girl that they had told God to make a man out of him. They sent you this little college boy. Philly boy, I think that's what they call me, a Philly boy. Um, you know, Philly is always a girl and a, and a boy because I was not, I was not chasing after women sexually. Yeah. And when I got up there, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. And so I said, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. It just popped into my head like that. <laughs> yes. And I, she was upset and annoyed, but she said, well, go ahead. It's down there on the right. I went down the hall. Taking my time, and when I got in there, I saw that window, and it had a fire escape on it. <laughs> and, I mean, everything comes to you so fast, you don't have time to think. But I knew that was why I'm going to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped on that. <laughs> I jumped outside of that window. I breathed that fresh air. And, my yeah. dear, it was not long before I was running down the street free. Never knew whatever happened or what my stepfather said or how he explained. I did not care. Yeah, well, well, I was out of that situation. Yeah, I mean, so times. Well, it's not different for there's there's some people who go through that even now. But I'm I'm glad yes, the level of acceptance. Yeah, there are. I read about it, yeah. and uh, of course it, it happens abroad, yeah. but it happens right here in America. Yeah. And we have cases of people who have been murdered yeah. just because they were looking at a man with yeah. affection or desire. That's what I should say with desire. And, I mean, there are places, you you know, we have uh, marriage now, same-sex marriage in this country. But there are places you cannot. Uh, you can't order the cake. You can't rent the, the place to dance or still have a celebration. The church won't bless you. I mean, all of that is still very, very active and still has to be addressed. I was with a, oh, I was with the wonderful Gail King on uh, oh, yes. CBS mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah, I and saw the that. one thing I remember... From t- talking with her, uh-huh. I had to do with the fact that my story needed to be told. 
You were, yeah, we should say words. that you were in a collection that she uh, edited an yes. anthology, yes. Yes, she did. And so I looked at things uh, a little differently mm -hmm. when she said, I have to say, the weight of uh, this woman mm -hmm. who seemed to have an insight. Yeah. And she articulated that she said, there was Stonewall in the village. Mm -hmm. There was another Stonewall, Dr. Clemens, on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And you were the leader of that. Mm -hmm. You played a role. You participated in a way that no other openly gay person or any person who admitted that he was gay had done. Right. I, I didn't realize it was time sensitive historical. I did not. I did it because all the other factors involved that made me a person with Fred Rogers. But history was also involved. Mm -hmm. There were no black men or people on children's television nationally, and there were no regular guys who came on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and I was gay. Mm -hmm. Which means, you know, That's I had that so thing with friends. Yeah. And he said, you can't do that. And so, I made my peace with it, mm -hmm. because I, I knew that I was a black mm -hmm. performer, a member mm -hmm. of Astra American Federation of Television and Radio Arts, yeah. and... There were maybe 10 of us in the union. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Nationally. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, you know, you have eyes on you, Francois. Yeah. They're always looking, and many of them are not looking at you for a positive reason. And so Fred's idea of not going to that gay bar made a lot of sense to me. It was sad. It was very, very deeply wounding sad. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I had to stand up. I could not bring shame to the race and to um, the confidence and love that it had placed in me. I, I had to do honor to that. Yeah, that, that. I, I understand. It's a difficult, and we should speak a little bit more about, like, sacrificing, like you they say, choose your battles or your causes so that you can, you can only, you know, you know, work on one at a time, and people feel, you Basically, know. you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and the thing was, I had to let a lot of other things go. Yes. In order to uh, be faithful to the um, role that I was in and the job that I had to do, we I should had also say that for mm -hmm. I mean, you also married for for a time for two. Yes, I married a woman, and she was my high school friend. I don't yes. want to say sweetheart, but uh -huh. we were friends in high school. In fact, she was a wonderful conversationalist, a wonderful yeah. writer, poet. Uh -huh. I loved spending time with her, and so it just seemed from what people were, older people whom I thought were wise or were saying, it only stood to reason that in time I was going to be straight. This uh, stuff that I was going through would be finished. I'd be through it. And she was there and I was talking with her yeah. at some point. And I swear, I never proposed to her, but she, that's what she heard. Yeah. And she said, are you proposing to me? <laughs> <laughs> I sat there just as dumb. Because at first of all, I had come from such a crazy place. I didn't, I didn't say anything about marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't say anything about the two of us, but she was my best friend. Yeah. I spent hours on the phone with her. I went to see her. She came to my house. There were people, you know, who chatted around about us being an item, but we were not. So that that's the one time the extrovert was very, very passive. I, just, mm -hmm. I was just watching. I was, just, I was watching. And so my my studies, <laughs> my silence, she thought was saying yes, that's a proposal. And yeah. uh, I think that somebody could feel that if you don't tell them, no, that's not what I meant. And I, I wasn't strong, I was weak. 
And so she grabbed the ball and started running with it. I thought, well, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, let it go. And I never objected. I knew what the older men had told me about homosexuals and how sick they were and how outcast they were in society and the difficulties. So I think that they, they were pederasts. Mm-hmm. Mess around with children. Do all that. That's not me. So I must be straight. Yeah. It's just going to come a little later. Yeah. So I allowed myself to be. They planned all around me. Mm-hmm. I, I made almost no decision mm-hmm. concerning my, me on such an important platform in life. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't make any choice. I did what society essentially expected me to do. Yes. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.